Hello and welcome again to Watch It Baptist Church. We're doing online teaching here and we are uh, taking a look uh, at a passage in Luke 10 today. This is the second part of a series looking at discipleship. I've said before it doesn't intend to be exhaustive, it's not going to tell us everything we might ever possibly need to know, but it does seek to give us an overview of how we might consider discipleship, what it is and how it works. We're going to be uh, looking at just a handful of verses, Luke 10, 25 to 28. So I'm going to start by reading them. Uh, I'm reading from the New International Version, the NIV. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, replied Jesus. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Let's pray. Father, we put ourselves into your hands as we look at these verses uh, just now. Lord Jesus, we place ourselves under your wisdom and ask that you would share that some of that wisdom with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you inspire us as we read and as we listen and think. Would you guide us so that we might be more like Jesus? Amen. Well, I grew up uh, not in Somerset at all. In fact, uh, I've been here uh, a few years now, but it's not where I grew up. I grew up uh, on a naval, uh, in a naval town on the south coast. Uh, just on the Solent. Uh, the house I lived in uh, was called, well, it was address was 10 Fairthorn Gardens, and it was the second house that I'd lived in in Gosport, which is just up the road from Portsmouth, which is part of the reason why I very quietly uh, and in the background sort of support Portsmouth Football Club. And it's also part of the reason why I get excited about uh, naval things. See, I lived uh, on, on the edge of Portsmouth Harbour and uh, if you wanted to go pretty much anywhere uh, that side of the water, that side of the harbour, you jumped on the Green Foot Ferry uh, and made your way across to pretty much where Portsmouth Harbour Station is, which is an amazing railway station because it's built partly on stilts. And as you were crossing the harbour you'd see massive cross-channel ferries and ferries going off to far-flung parts of the world as well. As you went across on that foot ferry, you would pass, or at least see, uh, ships like HMS Warrior and HMS Victory. And that meant that I grew up with quite an interest in, in, in the Navy. A lot of the kids I went to school with when I was that age were expecting to join the Navy and follow in their dad's footsteps. There was also a place called HMS Alliance, which is a submarine museum. Uh, and all of those things meant that it was perhaps inevitable that my dad would start reading me the C.S. Forrester Hornblower sequence of books. I had a lot of them read to me when I was growing up all the way until I was about 16. And then later as an adult, I read uh, some of the uh, Aubrey and Maturin books that Patrick O'Brien uh, wrote. And what was interesting about those books, uh, and they they come from, a, they tell a story of of that sort of, golden era of British Navy, the Napoleonic Wars kind of time, um, is that his uh, O'Brien's writing style when he wrote them would very much fit the, 
the style of language of that era. And I discovered that as I read and read these, that my brain would work better in the situation where I was reading a lot of them. Interestingly enough, there's some science uh, that's been done around this that, that suggests that reading Jane Austen actually um, makes your uh, increases blood flow to the brain. So there's some suggestion that writing that that follows the, the language of that era might actually be good for your brain. I found that my thinking and reasoning were a bit quicker and better uh, and I had a lot of chances to read from this sequence of books. There are, I think, 16 of them. And at the time when I was reading them a lot, I was doing a rail commute that was 90 minutes in the morning and 90 minutes back in the evening. And it was fascinating to discover the extent to which the things I filled my mind with actually made an impact on how I thought and on what I did. In our first look at discipleship last time around, we talked about believing and living. We said that um, the thing that makes you a disciple isn't what your doctrine is, it's who you are following. It's the person of Jesus that makes you a disciple, not your theology. That doesn't mean that what we believe isn't important though, and I said this last time, following Jesus doesn't mean you can believe whatever you like, but knowing the truth and growing your knowledge aren't the things that make you a disciple. Being a disciple is about obeying and following Jesus. Now we're looking at Luke 10 this morning, but in Luke 9.23, Jesus says that a disciple commits to following him daily. Following and obeying is a commitment on a long-term basis. A commitment that has a rhythm to it because it's a daily thing. When I committed to reading Patrick O'Brien books every day, it did my brain a lot of good. And when I commit to following Jesus every day, it does my whole self even more good. Now, this passage in Luke 10 that we're looking at captures a moment. It's a moment uh, in which Jesus offers a reminder. As is so often uh, with Jesus, he tends not so much to teach new things as reminding people of things that they already know, but perhaps by putting them uh, in a different light or, or approaching them in a different way. He reminds people then and now of an existing truth and in this case it's a reminder of what it means to walk with God. How do I inherit eternal life says the question. Well says Jesus that's about how you live. The expert in the law who stands up to ask his question showing the respect uh, given to Jesus gives his own interpretation of his responsibility to God or his duty to God. He offers two bits in the Old Testament, they're Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and Leviticus 19 verse 18 and here they are on the screen as I quote them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says spot on, good answer, that's absolutely right. A teacher goes on to ask how the idea of neighbour might be understood. And in reply, Jesus tells that famous story of the Good Samaritan. But we're going to stop before we get to that bit and just look at the first quote, the one from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Now, I've had uh, a lot of experience of reading and hearing about people talking about um, loving God with heart, soul, mind and strength. And I've heard it described differently. 
some people want to highlight that Deuteronomy doesn't refer to the mind. Others emphasise the Hebrew understanding of what heart and soul are. In the message, which Eugene Peterson provides us with, is a kind of an epic work combining translation, uh, scholarly understanding of contemporary language. This verse says passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence. That's how it looks at heart, soul, mind and strength. So I am fairly confident that I'm going to be saying something in this teaching session that will in some way be a contrast to something that you've heard at some previous point. I'm not really apologising for that because um, I think that's a mark of healthy study of scripture. We are going to find different ways in which things are understood and we allow those things to be in conversation with each other and with us as we work out what God is telling us. So my aim is not to uh, step away from good translation but uh, at the same time I'm not looking to step away from any health, helpful teaching that you've heard previously on, on these points. I don't want to cancel what you've previously understood but I I do really want to give you the opportunity to um, to look again and to see if there's a different light to shed on this. My aim is to explore what Jesus was saying and to consider how this helps us understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus by looking at what Jesus was saying. And I'd ask you to let the Holy Spirit speak to the core of who you are, not just to what you think or what you've heard before, but but to the core of yourself, of your identity, to to see how you might be challenged and transformed by Jesus as we consider what these verses mean. Jesus is, I think, showing us what it means to follow him, uh, to have life, to, to follow Jesus and have the life that he offers. Uh, and to do that through a, a love that is heart, soul, strength and mind. I'm aware as well, though, that uh, some experts, some scholars, some commentators um, suggest that we don't try to break those elements down so that we don't so much look at four separate things, but uh, that we recognise that this is just a way of talking about the whole person. Um, and it's that simple and doesn't need picking at. And according to that suggestion, the command is not an invitation to do a load of psychological study of the wording. At the same time as, as respecting that, I'm also aware that if we're going to get it get our heads around what it means to give our whole lives to Jesus um, and our whole selves to discipleship, then we need to understand what's included in that. Uh, the fact that psychology is a, is a science of its own suggests that we don't always understand our own selves, and so it's a good idea to have a good deep think about it. When we think about the key questions of discipleship, what is Jesus saying and what am I doing about it, and I think those are the key questions, um, it's important that we think about the whole of our life as we think about how we answer it. So I am going to break it down into heart, soul, strength and mind. And I'm going to look at all four and in that order and think about what each of them means for us as disciples. So, first of all, with all your heart. I'm going to talk about this in terms of um, feelings um, and desires. And I think the key question here is, what do you love? Psalm 63 verse 1 says this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
To be a disciple is to love God and follow Jesus with our desire. To love him is to chase after what is good for him. When we love somebody, we want what's good for them and, and we pursue it. When we love God, we pursue what's good for him. Putting all of our heart into being a disciple means bringing our feelings into our discipleship. And it, it may well be that we have been brought up, at least in spiritual terms, to think that feelings are unreliable and should be left to one side. I think Jesus, in quoting this verse, and, and Moses in writing it down um, when the father first brought it to, in as part of his covenant, were recognising that the, the feelings of humanity are placed there as part of God's design. They're not an accident or a mistake. They're there for a good reason and they help us. And in this case, they help us to pursue the right things, to desire something. Now, last time around, we talked about discipleship as being about putting on a pair of boots um, and setting out. And this time around, each of these four uh, elements, heart, soul, strength and mind, is going to be uh, an item of clothing to go with those boots as we think about what it's like to set out uh, on this voyage, on this trek, uh, on this journey with Jesus. And this one, I'd say that the, the whole heart is like a vest. So we're talking about what's closest to your heart um, and what warms us, but also very often something that's unseen. So a vest, unseen, keeps you warm and is close to your heart. Uh, and that's what I think we're thinking of when it comes to loving God with our heart. It means looking at what we love and giving that to God. All the way through from um, material things you might be particularly attached to, through to people, a family that you love, uh, or a job that you love, or, or whatever it might be. Handing that over to God, being willing to trust it to his care. It means being honest as well about what we desire most, in giving that to God too. Not, not pretending that there are other things that, that pull on our attention because we desire them, but embracing the reality of who we are and placing that before God too. It means hosting a meeting between my priorities and my feelings and Jesus and asking Jesus to help me put things in the right order. Kind of getting him involved in your life management so that he can help uh, you organise things the way that's best. That verse from Psalm 63 uh, is the writer saying in that moment that he knows the only thing he really wants is to be with God uh, and to enjoy God's company. Something that fits very much with the priorities of uh, God in creation in Genesis 2 verse 1, uh, but also um, in Leviticus in how God describes how he's looking for this covenant to work, to be present with people and they with him. And we ask God by his spirit to transform our desires so that the things we want most of all become the things that Jesus wants us to have. So we want what he would want for us. And then we go after those things too. Disciples give all of their heart, desires and feelings to Jesus. Secondly, love with all your soul. I'm going to talk about the soul in terms of being and identity. The key question here is this, who are you? Galatians 4 verses 6 to 7 
says this, because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. To be a disciple is to love God and follow Jesus with our being. To love him is to put our whole identity in his care, in his in his hands. Putting all of our soul into being a disciple means that every part of our identity is included. Now we had we had the image of a vest before and this time we're going to have a t-shirt because t-shirts often have um, a, a, a badge up here or, or a bit of a logo across the front and and this proclaims something doesn't it it tells people walking by something about the t-shirt perhaps or perhaps the person who's wearing it in this case loving the lord with all your soul says something about who you are if we're northern or somerset born or welsh or something else we allow that identity sometimes to play second fiddle to jesus in fact what we want to do is allow that identity to always play second fiddle to Jesus. As a grandparent or as a parent or as a child, we allow that bit of identity to be submitted to Jesus. If we struggle to see ourselves as being worth anything at all and assume that others are worth more than us, we bring that to Jesus honestly and say, this is who I am. It says everything else about who we believe ourselves to be comes second and Jesus comes first, not so that you can feel guilty when you don't when you aren't doing that, but so that you can recognize that the best place for you to be is somewhere where Jesus can see all of that stuff inside about who you want worry about being, about how you balance your priorities uh, of your own identity, that, that we stop kidding ourselves that we can hide that from him, that we bring it to him instead and say, help me work with this work with me with it, work with me with it, and move me on. It is difficult sometimes because some of those priorities about our identity do stick hard somewhere in us. So for some of us it'll be cultural heritage, for some of us it'll be nationality, for some of us it'll be job, or our place in the family, or the fact that we have a family. So it's a big ask to say that our identity should first and foremost be seen through the lens of Jesus' love for us. But that is what we're talking about here. Those verses from Galatians remind us that who we are is at the heart of being a disciple. I'll just go back to them. You are his children. This is Paul writing. You are his children. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. There is identity in that. We are part of God's family and we have a heavenly father. And we ask the spirit to remind us every day that we are a child of God, belonging to his family and valued. Disciples give all of their soul, their identity and being to Jesus. Thirdly, with all your strength, I'm going to talk about strength in terms of doing and, and of obedience too. The key question here is, how will you respond? So I'm just going to take a couple of verses from Luke 6, verses 45 to 46, where Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me? 
Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. To be a disciple is to love God and follow Jesus with all our doing. Now, again, there's a, there's a risk here that we end up using this as a, beat, as, a, as a stick to beat ourselves with, as a prompt for guilt. And that's not what Jesus is looking for us to do. Remember, all these things are descriptions of how love works. So to love him is to speak and behave in the ways that he asks us to. It's trusting that his way of speaking and doing is the best way for us and for those around us. Putting all of our heart, uh, sorry, putting all of our strength into being a disciple means what we say and what we do should be like Jesus. And the item of clothing that goes with this is the trousers. They show what we're about. They might be working trousers, they might be gardening trousers, they might be walking trousers or casual trousers or wedding trousers. They say something about um, what you're doing with what you're wearing. Now, I'm not a disciple unless I speak and act like one, and neither are you. That's hard to hear sometimes, but important to be honest with ourselves about it at the same time. We need to be careful that we don't behave one way in the Jesus things that we do, and differently the rest of the time when we're not doing Jesusy things. If our other behaviour, outside church, outside Christian contacts and, and friends, if our other behaviour isn't gentle and kind, and we speak with condemnation or to criticise, then this is not obeying and following Jesus with all our strength. This is obeying and following Jesus in some other kind of strength, which isn't the love that Jesus is calling for here. Luke 6 shows that behaviour is a true indicator of discipleship. You can't behave yourself into salvation, but you can demonstrate whether or not you really trust Jesus by the way you speak and act. Claiming Jesus as Lord doesn't make us disciples. Jesus calls us to obey him as we follow him. So we ask Jesus each day to be in our hands and feet and mouth. And we ask the Spirit to help us speak and act as Jesus did. Disciples give all of their strength, their obedience and action to Jesus. Fourthly, with all your mind. I'm going to talk about mind in terms of thinking and imagination. The key question for this one is, why do you believe? I'm going to quote from Romans 12. Again, I'm in the NIV. Romans 12 verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. To be a disciple is to love God and follow Jesus with our thinking. To love him is to consider and process and reflect through the lens of Jesus. Putting all of our um, mind into being a disciple means involving our imagination and involving our creativity and involving our reason in how we do that. Item of clothing for this is a hat. This belongs on your head. It keeps it warm and dry and protected. Trying to be a disciple without your mind will be a combination of frustration and fruitless. To leave our imagination out, our creativity out of our, our knowing of Jesus, which again sometimes in our growing up it's spiritually we've been encouraged to, to leave those things to one side, but if we do leave them out then you only love God with part of your mind. You're keeping one part of it to one side and saying, well, God's not interested in that or, or that part of how I 
how my brain works is, is of no interest to God. But remember, Jesus, in quoting this this verse in Deuteronomy, says that um, all of the whole of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that verse from Romans, Romans twelve, verse two. Um, encourages us to go back to Jesus each and every day and to ask him to renew our mind, to renew our creativity, to renew our imagination, to renew our reasoning. Inviting him to stretch our mind and shine his light into all that we think and imagine. This means coming to our father who made us in his image and asking him to involve himself in what we think and how we think. Then we can know his will, influencing how we think about worship and mercy and prayer and justice and doctrine and creativity and everything else. Disciples give all of their mind, imagination and thinking to Jesus. The call to be a disciple then is the call to give your whole self. Everything that is you is included all of it. So being a disciple of Jesus is about your whole life. It's a whole life discipleship. It's a commitment. It's submitting to be an apprentice and an adherent. And it's an ongoing commitment. It's not something that we have a stab at for a little while and then put down and maybe pick up later. If you're a disciple, you're welcomed into the kingdom of God. You're a child of a heavenly father and you have a place in his family. You are loved and cherished and Jesus is your brother. You're secure in love and grace. And Jesus asks you with all of that to commit to him every day, to wake up every morning and be a part of that family, to be a disciple for today and then tomorrow to be a disciple again. And then the day after that to be a disciple again. And in committing to this, your understanding of the family grows. I like, I like playing video games, particularly sports video games. I particularly like um, uh, a game called FIFA, uh, which is a football simulation game. And when I play FIFA, there are things that help my team to do well. Um, you can play games yourself or you can simulate them so they happen without you doing anything. If I simulate them, do you know what? They, they don't do as well. If I put my team on autopilot, it, it doesn't achieve the same things. It's like they're only firing on three cylinders instead of all four. If, if I want my team to do well, I have to get stuck in. I have to get hands on. It takes more time to do things that way and more commitment. But they do play better if I do that. To be a disciple and to see it work well is to give that time and to give that commitment. Not to be on autopilot, but to get stuck in. Also... If I'm playing FIFA, my team plays better if I train them each week. I know it's just a video game, but stick with me. They get better. Players improve and their morale gets better. They are sharper too. They're more likely to make a good pass or a good tackle or to score a goal or if they're a goalkeeper to save a goal. And, and that all comes because they've been trained. And that's a bit like being a disciple too. I, I am aware that metaphors very often have some limitations, but... To be the kind of disciple Jesus is asking me to be, to do so with my whole heart, soul, strength and mind, involves training. It involves doing things each day and week that make me better able to be the disciple he is calling me 
to be because being a disciple doesn't just happen to you there is nothing automatic about spiritual development and maturity you contribute much you offer something and the something you offer is you your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind your creativity your reasoning your identity your actions your your voice and your desire at the same time jesus provides too he gives the holy spirit and he gives us other disciples i think we often really underplay that sense that god gives people to people he gives us the church it's a gift not everybody around you in a church is necessarily a person you'd identify with but the ability that the church has to provide encouragement and inspiration and, and reassurance through their own experience is phenomenal and one of the worst things that we ever do is consider our faith to be so personal that we now nobody to influence it the people walking with you side by side day by day they are part of the gift that jesus gives the spirit provides wisdom and authority and is um, creating and transforming power being a disciple is about being transformed also, it's about the formation of your character, your, your spiritual formation, the, the development of you as a person to be the disciple Jesus sees that you could be. And other disciples offer encouragement and accountability and compassion. And without honesty among us, we abandon each other in, in reality. And we end up making the journey alone. And I don't think that was ever Jesus's intention. To try to go it alone without the spirit and without each other is to try to be our own master apprentices need a master they need to submit to the authority of someone else and follow their lead no student is senior to his or her teacher as jesus puts it so when we don't give our whole selves to jesus when we don't involve the community of saints around us we're behaving as if we are the master and as if we think we don't need a teacher very often I've been guilty, I suppose. I suppose I know I have of, of listening to people talking about what the Bible says and, and only really letting it hit me if it's something I already thought, if it's something I already agree with and not really letting things make an impact if I think they might be a little bit um, not me, you know, that they're not quite what I already thought. We need to be humble enough to let Jesus teach us. Uh, particularly for him to jolt us off a track if it's the wrong one to be on and for him to to get us get, get our thinking renewed and the worst thing probably to do is to believe that we don't need a master because then we're not really disciples we effectively become people who believe that we can lead ourselves through life and god will be a spectator who we call on in times of particular need in Matthew 28, which we've looked at countless times, Jesus says that having trained the 11 to follow him, it's then up to them to train others. That's what the church is and what it's for, to be a community that follows Jesus and shows others how to, through heart and soul and strength and mind. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray using words that are going to come up on the screen. Uh, and then perhaps you might say them along with me. Living Lord Jesus, master and brother, teacher and friend, you call us to follow you daily and to love you with all that we are. By your Holy Spirit, we pray, redirect our desire so that our hearts beat for you. Remind us of our identity 
so that our souls are at home in you. Keep us steadfast and obedient so that our strength brings us back to you. Renew our imagination so that our minds would always be directed to you. And in all these ways, make us your disciples. We pray in the name of the Father, who gives love and compassion beyond measure. Amen. Okay, it's our normal thing to do to ask three questions, but on this occasion we're going to ask four, one each about those four areas, heart, soul, strength and mind. So the first question is perhaps not surprisingly a heart question. We talked about how um, we have an opportunity to host a meeting, don't we, between ourselves and Jesus and our um, desires uh, and our priorities. And I, I think what I'd encourage you to do is to ask yourself something like this. If you're, imagine being in that meeting, it's you and Jesus and your desires and your priorities. What's the first thing you would ask Jesus to help you with? What desire or priority do you already identify as something that Jesus needs to help you with? Okay, question two. This is a, a soul question. So it's a question about identity, about the, the terms uh, in terms of who you are and, and why you feel you're that person. So now ask this question. What is it about your identity that threatens to get ahead of Jesus, Jesus' place in your life? What is it about your identity that threatens to, to take the lead? Do you feel that sometimes you're more of a mum than you are a disciple? Do you feel you're more of a husband than a disciple? Do you perhaps feel you're more of a, a cricket lover or a football fan or, um, or a mountaineer? I'm talking about lots of things that I have as priorities in my life here, I suppose. Are any of those things something that you know threatens to take priority over Jesus because of the way in which it shapes your identity? Question three, then, is a strength question. And we said earlier strength was to do with doing uh, and speaking, to do with obedience in, in how you go about living. So I, I think the, um, the question to ask here is what are the situations in which your speaking and doing are at most risk that they, they might be the least jesus-like um, we said didn't we before about how um, there are situations where we might be um, less gentle or less kind or more in, or inclined to criticize or condemn what are those situations that you find yourself in be honest with yourself. How are you sometimes not somebody who does things or speaks in a way that reflects Jesus? And, and then to turn to Jesus and say, help me with these. Being honest with yourself here is really important. Question four is to do with your mind. Now, we said this was thinking, reasoning uh, and creativity. And, and my feeling is that sometimes our creativity is, is, doesn't get room to really thrive. It sometimes is, is bolted on to our discipleship rather than being an integral part of it. But for you, that might not be the case. It might be that for you, creativity um, is very much Jesus shaped in your life. And, and perhaps it's your reasoning that doesn't always get Jesus uh, infusion into it. Whatever, whichever way around it is, 
again, with, with some honesty uh, with yourself, take a moment and ask, what part of my thinking, what part of my mind um, doesn't get Jesus' influence like it might? Um, and how might you ask him to help you with that? What might you want to change and what might you ask for from him? Well, that's our questions for this time. Uh, and I'll see you again soon with our next session.